0: We go to do the transition from the bike to the run. My older son is there with my uh, sister-in-law and we go running by my brother and I, and my son says, dad, dad, I am over here that, uh, Luke's in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> Just that's what you want to hear in the middle. Oh my word. What did you do? What happened? Uh we finished the race of course. <laughs> yeah, we just said that's
1: okay, we'll deal with it
0: later. Is it appropriate for me to be in airplane mode?
1: Sure. That's more than appropriate. Look at all my notes, all the things we're going to talk about. I'm super excited. It's all misspelled though, is the problem.
0: None of it's spelled it is even misspelled epic. I can see that. Oh, that's episode four. All
1: right. Here we go with episode four of the amateur experts featuring the one, the only, the famous and infamous Douglas Braswell. Welcome to the show, sir. To get us started, you have to open and pour the wonderful bottle of something I have been hyped up about since it showed up. From Bowdoodle's Liquor Store, which is Knob Creek Smoked Maple. Do the honor, sir.
0: This is the bottle that I brought, right?
1: This is. Hand delivered.
0: So you really didn't have to talk all about it, because I...
1: Well, tell me about I never, it. I told you all about it. Right. It's
0: smoked maple from the Knob Creek.
1: <laughs> which is north or south of the of the Little Creek.
0: Do you open it by pulling the tab here?
1: You do. You usually use your teeth, though?
0: Um... <laughs> I really don't drink. I'm it's so obvious. So glad we're
1: that. able to edit all this. It's gonna be great. Oh, no,
0: this is the best. This may be the best part. Really? Yeah.
1: I don't. I don't think it'll be the best part. It'll be the best part for me.
0: <clears throat> oh no! <laughs> do you have a pocket knife? I do. Gosh dang. Here, give me the pocket knife. I'll pull it out of my pocket. (laughs) That way we'll be legit. Uh, If you uh, you have a
1: pocket knife, you can probably just cut around the top of it there.
0: Oh, look what I
1: got. Nice. That's a nice Damascus steel blade you have there.
0: Yeah. Forged in the
1: fires of uh, Silver Dollar City.
0: Did you get this at Silver Dollar City?
1: I did. Have you been?
0: I love Silver Dollar City. Do you? Absolutely. All
1: right. We have a new uh,
0: topic. Have have you stayed at the castle?
1: They have a castle.
0: There is a castle, that uh, that's what my kids called it. The castle. I don't. It's right on the lake, and it looks like a castle. My mm-hmm. kids love to go to Silver Dollar City. Well, they don't anymore, but when they were young, they did. And uh, I have I have not stayed at Fire the in the Hole. Don't they make a whiskey called Fire in the Hole?
1: They make a fireball. There you go. Which is delicious.
0: They make these things easy to get into. <laughs> That's what I like about it.
1: It's childproof.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Well, that would explain it. Nice. I like that. I do like that. Just that part. Here, let me let me pour it so you can see the label. There we go.
1: Branding. Do you know anything about branding?
0: That's what I pay you guys to know. Oh,
1: that's right. Thank you, Bo, for your wonderful contribution.
0: All we have to do is the... Uh, it does smell good. Can you smell the maple? I can smell the maple.
1: Made fresh from the the creek of Cheers. knobs. Cheers. Oh my word! You were right. Holy hell! That's like amazing. That. That's good. All right, Sir Braswell.
0: Let me put my knife back in my pocket. Oh yeah.
1: Nice. Uh, of of the whiskeys, um, how how would you rank this? In your, your whiskey uh, endeavors. On scale from one to 10, we try to rank them.
0: And so what's 10? Whatever
1: you want 10 to be, but okay. 10 would be the best whiskey you've had. Okay. Uh, and zero would be water.
0: And you have someone who donated this bottle or is like getting a, a, pl- a commercial plug? Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's a 10. Absolutely. It's the best one I've ever had. That's what
1: I was thinking. <laughs> That's a good answer.
0: You know, it really is pretty smooth. It's not too sweet. It's got a little bit of flavor.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: that You can you can taste the the maple. And um, I would drink it. All over again. Yeah, I would drink it. I mean, I'd buy that bottle and drink it. It's smooth. I prefer clean.
1: Yeah. Neat. Neat. I guess what it is. There you neat. go. I prefer neat. Any mixed drinks and at all or always just neat?
0: If it's too hot. I'll mix it with some water. But this doesn't taste like it's too hot.
1: No. 90. It's 90, yep. Yeah.
0: So, anything beyond that and I'd want to add some water, but otherwise just neat. I got you.
1: So, most folks know you as as the pawn shop guy, right? And that's that's Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, besides the people who know me as Justin's friend, it's we're all known guy. as Justin's friend yeah. or Alex's friend. that's good too. In the gym, what I've found is that being <laughs> Alex's friend is a is a pretty cool pretty cool gig. It is.
1: I am everyone's best wingman uh-huh. uh, just waiting for the tables to turn one day. That's all. So I want to talk about the pawn shop world, okay? Because you don't just have a pawn shop you have a couple of pawn shops. Mm-hmm.
0: We have uh, six
1: six pawn shops. We had the amazing pleasure one time of going in and kind of getting a behind-the-scenes look with some folks. Got some interviews and some cool stuff, and it was amazing to see what direction you have taken a pawn shop. So, humor me for a second, and let's go back just a little bit. And I want to know about how you got involved in the pawn shop world and objectively have made it an incredibly successful endeavor... Whether you want to openly say it, yes, no, or whatever, you've made. No, we're the best, no doubt. <laughs> the well, seriously, that's not a field that most people are well, like. Goal, I am yeah. going to be an, a, a very successful, accomplished individual through pawn shops, right? Well, because and you
0: may find this hard to believe, but um, but I didn't ever say to myself, "I know what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be a pawnbroker." Yeah.
1: So what happened? Did you lose a bet? What happened?
0: You know, in the pond world, most everyone got into the business because of uh, their family. Their family's in the business and so they get into the business. It's rare to find someone uh, like my dad who started the business really not knowing anything about it other than the fact that uh, that he liked to shop there. But most successful pawn operators are multi-generational. Okay. So I didn't grow up, and that being said, I didn't grow up wanting to be a pawnbroker because who does, right? I mean, when you're little, you want to be, I don't know, a superhero or a policeman a pilot. or a firefighter or pilot. Yeah, you want to do like cool jobs. Um, but you don't want to be a pawnbroker. And because let's face it, most people don't have a favorable opinion. Of the industry as a whole. Or an
1: experience that they've had. Yeah,
0: they saw an episode of... um, Pawn Stars. Yeah, Pawn Stars, sure. And they're like, wow, that looks like a lot of fun. Nothing like the the pawn business. Or they saw some caricature in a movie that's, you know, he's a swindler.
1: Yeah. So... It's a very misconstrued... So, that's the thing. I think every person has seen, or at least heard of, Pawn Stars. And that's what... Let's take this to a younger generation. That might be what they kind of deem as a pawn shop. That's very far. You just said it's very far from what a real pawn shop really is. But that's incredibly far from your pawn shops mm-hmm. because you've got Braswell and Sons, and you've got.
0: I see um, you did your research, Braswell and Son.
1: Mm-hmm. Braswell and Son. Excuse me. <laughs> There's not two. Of it's you. a
0: common mistake. But you know what? If I'd named it Braswell and Sons, mm-hmm. then everybody'd say Braswell and Son.
1: It'd be vice versa. Right. But you
0: don't just have that. You have iPawn, Right.
1: What's the difference? I know what the difference is, but yeah. tell the audience what the difference is.
0: So, uh, so Braswell and Son, so let's rewind. You were talking about how you get into the business. Yeah. Bring me back. Don't mean to take over the whole deal here, but- By all You means. know how you get into the business? Well, I never wanted to be in the pawn business, actually, um, but I was such a terrible accountant. I needed a job, <laughs> and so uh, it was kind of a soft landing spot for me, but- as I got into the business, uh, really, I wanted to make it something that I could be proud of, mm-hmm. right? Nobody wants to work somewhere where it's where you're ashamed of, of your job. But frankly, when I first started, we were very traditional. and were you, all,
1: were you scared of being ashamed of your job? Did you think it could take that turn?
0: Well, you know, for many years when people would say, when I first started, people would say, well, what do you do? I'd say... Uh, pawnbroker. broker, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of mumble it under your breath because I wasn't proud of it because really everything that I knew, I never, I never hardly even went into the store when I was a kid. My dad had roller skating rinks and that was a cool gig, right? Because you don't know this, but back in the day, they didn't have cell phones and video games and the internet and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so everybody'd have to go out and do something. So they'd go to the skating rink. Right. And your dad owns a skating rink. Well, that's a cool deal. But anyway, so I spent all my time in those things and the skating rink business didn't come along till later. And uh, uh, so I never was around it at all. And and really everything I knew about the the business was kind of the same as anybody where, you know, you, I, I saw some stories on TV or, you know, or whatever, just the stereotypes. Sure. And so when I started, we looked a lot like the stereotypes, you know, it's, uh, everything in there, you know, the floors are concrete, the shelving is like, you know, five generations old Walmart stuff, you know, it's just, it's just, uh, it's kind of a junk shop really. And, um, so because of that, I spent the next years trying to make it into something that I could be proud of. Now, we've always taken good care of customers. You know, we've always treated people fairly sure. and uh, done a nice job like that. But it was never anything that I was proud of. And um, just over the years, we kept making it nicer, cleaner. You know, what we wanted it to look like was the kind of store that um, that anybody, doesn't matter where you're from, could walk in and say, hey, that's a nice store. Mm-hmm which is really not traditional pawn right it's not at all. it's retail it's like walking into that's- best buy or uh, or zales or anywhere else that's that was kind of the goal and it took us a long time to get there but i think that we've um, you know we, there's always room for improvement but i think that um that we've gotten there sure. you know so it uh it looks like any other retail store or nicer frankly than some stores. so
1: so and you guys don't just have You know, when I think of I'm going to go to the pawn shop, it's like yeah, I just need a beat up lawnmower or I need something like what you said, like a junk shop sort of a deal, right? You sell Rolexes and and the the huge you know boutique purse selection and all this other stuff. Arguably, do you sell? Who sells more Rolexes in Arkansas than you do?
0: You know, that's a great question because I don't know. You know, we don't sell new ones, of course, but I I don't know how much, I don't know how many anyone sells in particular. I know that uh, during the holidays, people were coming in the store and they would say, wow, you know, you have, you've got more Rolexes here for sale than the Rolex dealer in town has, Mm -hmm. Um, which doesn't make any sense to me.
1: How how did it come to that? Why, why is it? I mean, when you said, I want to make a nicer shop, that's not like a junkyard that's the furthest thing from a junkyard ever. How are you bigger than the the local retailer there? How did it get to that and, and yeah. what happened for that to happen? So was it intentional?
0: Well, yes, it was. I mean, that was the goal all along, but how to get there was really just more of a, uh, by chance, uh, what kind of a victim or a beneficiary of circumstance. Mm-hmm. So it's really amazing how, uh, how life works out. But, Back when gold started to run up in price, I mean, the store looked nice. This is a good looking store. Um, largely, we were dealing in tools and electronics, and we had some, some jewelry, um, but heavy on what we call B goods, which is essentially anything but jewelry. Right. And uh, gold started going up, and we got a call one day from one of the local news stations, and they said, Hey, gold's going up, and uh, do you have an, a you know any information about that? Can we come out and talk to you, and you know just shoot a little segment there at your store? I said, yeah, you know that's great. So they came by the store one like Friday afternoon and uh, put me on the news, right, talking about the price of gold and what's going on in the market, and we buy gold, all this kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, so then the next day we were headed to Branson with the kids. Well, that day I got a call, uh, in Branson
1: and, magical place.
0: Uh, yeah. And, um, they said, Hey, uh, we're going to need some money. Like what's going on? You know, you had plenty of money when I left, what's going on? It's like, well, there's people lined up out the door wanting to sell gold. And, um, uh, I mean that was kind of the beginning because what that wow. what that did was, uh, it. But now we have the credibility of the news. As you all know, you can pay for a lot of advertising, but when the news shows up and says, "Hey, this Alex is a good guy," you're legit. All of a sudden, you sure. can spend all the money that you want. But having some credible source source say you're good, and so that's what happened. And so then we had all kinds of people coming in the store that would not have previously come in the store. And so we just ran with that mm-hmm. and kept trying to take one of the things we did at that time was we were paying pretty much double what anybody else was paying for gold. And so we just kept drawing in more and more people and people would, uh, again, that wouldn't come in a pawn shop. Sure. And uh, so we just, once we got them in the door, they are like, okay, Hey, you know, let's let's make the store nicer. Let's offer them uh, other things than what um, than what you would typically see in a pawn shop. And of course, once they come in, then we're also buying things. We, of course, we're buying their gold from them, but uh, buying watches and everything mm-hmm. else. But, you know, the thing about our business is it's it's um, it's a misunderstanding, I think, culturally that only poor people need money right? Only poor people get in a pinch. And it's just not true. People who have money get into a pinch from time to time. Mm-hmm. And so once we gained that credibility, then those people would come to us and say, and we've had people come and say, Hey, I need $30,000 because I got to make this workers comp insurance payment tomorrow or else I'm going to lose this contract. Those kind of things start happening. Yeah. And you just, uh, we just kind of ran with that. And, um, that's the short story of how we ended up there.
1: Wow. Do you think because that is catering to a different market now, do you think you're missing out on where a traditional, I, I know you have both, kind of yeah, both sides, right. both, both, best of both worlds, but just for that, do you feel like you're missing out on a, on a side of the market because you've now retargeted your audience? Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it's a, there's, there's a lot to be said about that because – we have experienced where, you know, we, we moved a store to a new location and mm-hmm. man, it was really beautiful. I mean, it was fantastic. We bought some uh, some showcases from a jewelry store that had was only open for a real short period of time and moved them in there uh, to our new location. I mean, the store was just immaculate and we didn't get the bounce in business that we thought we'd get. And one of the things we noticed is that some of our regular customers um, stopped Coming in, mm. and we weren't really attracting any new people. Um, and so, again, what we figured out is that a lot of the traditional pond customers were just not comfortable. You know, it's like, well, I'm used to going into a place that even if our previous store had been nice, it hadn't been that sales, right? It's been somewhere in between that. And so, uh, we kind of had to dirty it up a bit. So we took out some of the really fancy showcase wood showcases with LED lighting, and all. we took out some of those and put in some Walmart gondola shelving, nice clean stuff. Yeah. But um, you know, and put some displayed some more tools and different kind of traditional pawn items, mm-hmm. musical instruments, and all that, and business picked up right away. So wow. there's a balance there, right? You can't just say open a store and say, well, I'm just going to cater to people who have Rolexes and Louis Vuitton handbags or whatever, because there's not we haven't found that in this market there's really enough of that business um, that you can turn your back, so to speak, on, on the rest, on the traditional stuff. So we've tried to find a balance there. And so the IPON brand is helpful with that because they deal in firearms, which the Braswell & Sun stores don't. Right. Um, you know, the thinking there is that, number one, the paperwork for firearms is, is a nightmare. Uh, But then number two, when women are looking at diamond rings and handbags, they don't want me and you over there racking shotguns and, you know, all that, you know, and and ARs and, you know, they don't want, they don't want all that. They want a nice atmosphere, you know, without all of that nonsense. So with IPON, again, we kind of find that middle ground where we can have a nice store. It's clean. It's all that, but has firearms. It has um, just a little bit more traditional pawn uh, categories of merchandise.
1: If you had to draw a hard line, which do you have more success
0: in? Hmm. You know, the great thing about the pawn business is that nobody's really figured out the best, most profitable way to do it. And so, you can uh, win, so to speak, either way. I mean… Braswell & Son, uh, you know, that's been the thing. That's the uh, goose that laid the golden egg, so, so to speak. I mean, I've been doing that for 30 years. And iPod is, you know, in the last five years. So um, that's I'm I'm partial to the Braswell & Son brand because sure. it's something that I took that when it started was pay more pawn because we pay more, right? Of course, we changed it when people would call and say, "Does that mean I have to pay more?" Like, no, 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 that's not what we mean. <laughs> it's a little bit confusing branding, and um, so we took it from Paymore, which is real traditional, to Braswell and Son, which is really a lot like walking into a jewelry store. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that, uh, of course, I don't know official numbers, but I can almost guarantee that we sell more Louis Vuitton handbags in Arkansas than uh, than anyone. Yeah, uh, you know, and we sell a lot of jewelry and. Rolexes as you mentioned um, but we also sell the other things and we sell televisions and video game systems and all kinds of stuff but that's the focus and those are the things that I like mm-hmm. um, so I'm partial to the Braswell and Sun model but it doesn't work everywhere yeah I mean we're in Arkansas and in Bryant there are more people driving by the store that are interested in shotguns and and ARs and glocks and that kind of thing, than what you can find in other parts of the state. So yeah. for here, IPOM works well. And if we move to other kind of more rural locations, it works well because firearms is a is a deal, right? Sure. I mean, that's, the expectation is that if you're in the POM business, you're going to have that. So um, they both work just in different places and largely dependent on what you're interested in.
1: Well, you have the best of both worlds, and I'd like to now spin it a different way and talk about <laughs> – the kind of internal standard that you have to keep up when playing both of these worlds, from an outsider looking in who has no clue about about that, you know, the details of the industry, I can only assume that the majority of the junk shop pawn shops have a certain type of employee, and I can only assume that the Braswell and Son has a different type of an employee. Is it is it tough to navigate those two waters, especially because you've got two shops that play on both sides of the ball field? Do you see that constant turnover, which I assume those those lower ones would? Maybe they do, maybe they don't. What's the struggle in that? How do you find the people who don't just pawn off the broken lawnmower, but can show you the fine stitching on this Louis Vuitton back?
0: Yeah, you know, uh, the people are everything. And we have been so fortunate to have i mean we've got i have folks that have been with me 15 years heck there's a there's a lady that works uh for me now who has worked for the company longer than i've been there and i mean that's the if there's a secret sauce to i probably to anybody's business but to mine for sure Mm -hmm. it's it's the people um and you know i i think that over time Uh, anybody can learn it, right? You deal with something every day and eventually, you know, it's uh, second nature. So, um, I really think that we've done a good job of, uh, creating a culture where we take care of our folks and, um, we kind of like to have that family atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everybody says that, right? But, uh, but we, uh, but we really focus on the folks. I mean, I would love to make more money. Who wouldn't want to make more money? But really, at the end of the day, there's I've got two goals. The um, one of those being that I want to have a place I can be proud of, right? I mean, I'm I'm in business to make money, but I, as I said at the kind of at the very beginning, like I want something that I can be proud of. So that's super important. And then, uh, kind of hand in hand with that, is that I want to provide a job. Uh, that I like, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I work there too. I want it to be a fun place to work. I want to take care of my folks. And so, you I, you know, a, a guy in business here, he's got great customers, uh, pardon me, great employees. I'm a customer, so he's got great customers too. But uh, he said something I thought was really, uh, really smart. He said, because I was kind of asking him the same thing. He's mm-hmm. like, my folks won't tolerate Anybody working here that doesn't share our values, they'll run them off. Like, I don't have to fire them. They'll run them off on their own. And I think that to some extent that's true, where it's not like they're just, you know, fresh blood in the water, new hire, you know, let's go get them. It's that they want to work with people that they enjoy. And if somebody comes in and is not like that, then... The culture has a natural selection in and of itself. It does. Yeah, so... I don't know on the recruiting side, we're struggling with that today, but I think that once you get somebody on board, uh, with culture, Mm -hmm. you can, you can keep them. And, uh, and then over time they learn, you know, they learn about bags, they learn about diamonds, they learn about gold, they learn about good grief, cameras and guitars. And, you know, there's so much to learn. It takes time to kind of get all that experience, but we can teach them over time.
1: How did COVID hit you guys? Was it rough? Was it just did you see an increase? Did things drop off? What was it like? What happened?
0: You know, we uh it's kind of funny because when it first started, the first thing I thought was, okay, we've got a bunch of stuff here that people have borrowed money on and they're not gonna have any money, so we're gonna have to hold it for them because we don't want their stuff right we never want to end up with the stuff we'd much rather them get it back which is the case you know 70 75 percent of the time sure so they're going to be struggling for money so we were um, brainstorming about how do you how are we going to navigate this and whatnot it never happened everybody had money so what happened was Our pawn balance, the the outstanding pawns where people are going to come back and pay it back and pick it up, Mm -hmm. it dropped and it was down 30, 40%, which was the exact opposite of what we expected. But our sales, you know, in the last two years have just gone the opposite direction. It's uh, so really, it's been unusual. We've had to get good at retail. Yeah. Um, We've had to find sources for uh you know, for watches and bags and uh, and jewelry, but because mm-hmm. people had money, they weren't, they didn't need to sell anything. they didn't need to pawn anything. yeah. Um, so that was very strange because in my uh, 30 years in the business, we had followed this kind of annual predictable trend. certain times of the year, pawn balance goes up, sometimes it, you know other times it goes down, sales, same way. Mm-hmm. And uh, COVID hit. All, all of a sudden, everybody's flush with money. And uh, it was very interesting. Plus, navigating the, uh, you know, masks, who's been exposed, what does being exposed mean? Right. 15 minutes, six feet is it what if they kissed you on the cheek? you know like I, I saw a thing on the news where some people were kissing it's like well, that's not close contact because they weren't together for 15 minutes like well I don't know what to do. right. So it seemed like the rules were changing every day and so trying to stay ahead of that and then our staff is worried because we're dealing with the public. people are coming in every day and we sit in rooms and talk to people sure and do business in space like this.
1: Did you change any of that when that was going on? Because you sit across from a counter and let me take a look at this. Let me inspect it and do all this stuff. Did you have to change anything at all? Was it?
0: We were careful with uh, keeping the store clean. Mm-hmm. Everyone, of course, had to wear masks. And um, our transactions are typically not for more than, you know, five or ten minutes. And so we we do have that, that space that the CDC talked about. But... Um, but everybody was nervous when we did everything we could, but we wanted to also keep paying our folks, right? We did you know, we could shut down and then everyone could stay home, which they're probably not going to do, but nonetheless, uh, maybe they'd be safer that way, but they're not going to get paid. So we just tried to do the best we could with the information that we had that was changing all the time. Sure. Um, but the same things you see everywhere with uh masks and distancing and the spots on the floor right that say you know that's it's six feet from here to there and stay can maintain this distance and whatnot so we yeah. did all that and we'd go out to the parking lot for people they would call and say hey i don't want to come in but and and we'd go do business in the parking lot with them sure. they felt safer that way so
1: all things considered big picture now you've taken the term pawn shop Turned it around and gone a completely different direction. Ups, downs, highs, lows, whatever. What advice would you give to a young entrepreneur out there uh, in the pond business, in the aviation world, in sales, whatever? What other entrepreneurial advice would you give them that you've learned over the years? Could be a one uh, a one liner, uh, a story. What wisdom have you got? What's the biggest lesson you've learned to to build up the the mini empire that you have and to change? Very many, yeah. Well, you have, you've changed you've a changed term.
0: You,
1: you don't go where you're going to do what you typically do. But here we are. Where are you going to go get that? Oh, I'm going to go get my engagement ring at Braswell and Son. Mm. Oh, I'm going to go get my father's wonderful gift at Braswell and Son. Well, what's that? Well, I'm going to a pawn shop. Mm. I would never do that. I know a lot of people who would never do that. You have you literally redefined what people consider to be a pawn shop. So what clicked in you to do that? I know you talked about always just wanting something different, but what advice could you give that translates to the rest of the world?
0: Well, you know, uh, I don't know that I did. There's not much original thought in my head. uh, A lot of the things that we do are plagiarized. So, sure. I mean, th- I those are nice things that you said uh, uh, about me and the business and all that. But frankly, uh, I mean, I had an idea that I wanted it to be better, but I didn't know what to do. Like, I didn't know what was possible. So I would say one thing is if you're interested in something, go find somebody who's doing it well and just copy them. I mean, uh, that's. And I don't know that it matters what business that you're in, whether you're in the car wash business or uh, marketing or whatever it is, who's the best? Mm -hmm. You know, who do you see that's doing something that you're attracted to? You know, join your national um, trade associations, those kind of things, and get to know people and go visit their businesses. And so to me, that's had the big, other people have had uh, a big hand in everything that we do. I mean, I could, I could write a book about our operations. And if I did most of that, I got from someone else. Um, and then the, the other thing, as I mentioned before, that's absolutely the most important thing is it's people, man, it's people Mm -hmm. are the whole deal. And you hear that all the time and it's easy to pay lip service to that idea. But what I've found is that, uh, I mean, we're nothing without our people. So customers are the same, Sure, you know, you can talk about how the customers always right and all this kind of thing. But I mean, frankly, in my business, when we talk about this a lot, we don't really always see customers on their best day. Nobody wants to borrow money, right? I wish I just had enough money that I never had to go to the bank and show them all of my financials and beg them for money and all this kind of thing. Nobody likes that. It's never a good day. When you have a financial need that you can't meet. So we have to take care of them. You know, you got to treat them with respect. You have to, and it's the same with your staff. So I would say that I'd say find somebody who's doing a great job, find somebody who's doing something that you're attracted to Mm -hmm. and copy them and, and then take care of your people, both your customers and your, and your staff.
1: Mm. Where's it going from here? Is there a seventh on the horizon? Is it just hold what we got?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, if you're talking about taking care of your employees, then you have to have more, right? Because everybody's growing. You know, I've got people that have started this month and they're doing a great job. And they may be happy doing what they're doing, I don't know, for a year, two years, but at some point they're like, man, I'm tired of doing this. I want some more responsibility. So if we're not growing, Mm then we're not providing those opportunities. So uh, where do you you want to grow?
1: Where do you want to go? You do want to grow. You want to open up more locations? Mm -hmm. That's big picture. What's what's big picture? What's 30 years from now? And you look back and go, that's exactly what I wanted to happen.
0: You think I'll be alive in 30 years?
1: I have no idea. I won't for sure. But it's fun to talk about.
0: Yeah, well, maybe so. From the nursing home, what would I say? (laughs) Um, From the grave. When... uh, What's up? Yeah, I did a I did a thing in this business group one time, and they were talking about. I mean the the, the point of it was that uh, you've got a limited number of years, make the most of the time that you've got, kind of thing. But they made you pick based on all these averages. What's your date? Oh gosh. So Ooh. mine was twenty forty five. So that was, that was like twenty three more Ooh. years before I get to the average. I think. Sure. So. Um, you know, we, we just want to keep growing wherever those opportunities are. You know, we, we love Arkansas. I was born and raised here. And uh, and so, so we'd like to grow here in Arkansas, uh, whether that's buying existing stores. Uh, we'd like to do that. But if we need to, we'll go and start one uh, from scratch, but really any part of the state. Frankly, by the population centers, we're, we're uh, in central Arkansas now. Mm-hmm. There, I think there's more opportunities here. Obviously, northwest Arkansas is another population center, northeast Arkansas. Sure. Um, Southwest. Um, so, just kind of have to see where the opportunities go. What's the
1: biggest lesson that you had to learn through all of this? We talked about the success, and maybe the success was the lesson that you had to get your head around. But what was the hardest or what is currently the hardest part of what you do? Because when you're talking about <laughs> just the pawn business as a whole, now we split it up and we're, we're retargeting people. Now we're talking about employees. And now it's this next level, higher level of stuff. What is the absolute worst part of the job that you hate doing?
0: Well, you didn't go where I thought you were going with that. The, uh, the, the biggest lesson that I had to learn mm-hmm. or the, that has been the, the most difficult thing is that um, there's somebody that can do it better. So you have to learn as a as an owner, you know my fingerprints, my DNA is all over the place, right um, And I've been doing it for 30 years. So being able to hand that off, responsibilities off to someone else and say, hey, hey, Alex, do whatever you think is best. That's hard. Yeah, that's really hard. But what I found is that uh, that some people, uh, a lot of people, frankly, are much better at aspects of my business than I am. And so really, then the idea is that find the right people and then turn them loose. Sure. Sure. Um, so, but that's, that's a, as an entrepreneur, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, who's been in it for so long, it's my baby, so to speak, giving someone else the keys to the car, boy, that's a tough one. Yeah. Um, but it's a better way. Uh, there's some humility associated with it when you look at it and say, Hey, you know, turns out I'm not the best at everything related to my business. There's some people that can do things better. Uh, but that's been a tough one for me because like I said, it is my baby. Mm -hmm. I've been doing it for a long time and I'm proud of what we've done. I don't want anybody to mess it up. Right. Sure. But, uh, but they can also, uh, what I found is that they can do, uh, many times a better job at it than what I can do. So, um, that's where I thought you were going with the question. So now where are you really going?
1: Well, I'll put the two together because I think a lot of times the, the, the hardest part of the job, the suckiest part and the biggest lesson learned just coincide with each other a whole lot. Have you had any huge delegation milestones if you, if you wanted to, I mean, was th- was there one part where you're like, all right, I got to step back. I got to, I got to hand this off to somebody else.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, a big one here in the last, you know, six months where I've, uh, turned over the day-to-day operations to, uh, a director of operations. So he's, responsible and he's been doing a lot of the work anyway kind of leading up to Mm -hmm. but I uh you know handed off the that responsibility to him and took a step back and let him make decisions without micromanaging and without getting into the weeds and uh that's it's pretty stressful but as I said I have some really good folks and and he's uh he's done a great job with it but Anywhere along the way, if you are um, – once you get – have some success in something, to step back and kind of give that to someone else, I mean, it's it's hard to do. Yeah. Uh, so I've experienced that in different spots, whether it's, uh, you know, when I went to open our second store. That meant I was spending all my time at the second store but wasn't in the first store, which was – you know, it's the original location. It's a big deal. It's what pays for everything. And I was over here on this new location, so that's stressful. But yeah. at that time, I also had some great folks, and there. So everywhere along the way, the people have uh, have stepped up and and done a great job with it. But um, but that's that delegation is is hard to do. You know?
1: Sure. So you've done triathlons, right? You've you're in the fitness world and and everything. How does that play a part in? pawn shops um and i'm also gonna bridge the gap here this is a slightly different direction but you're a pilot you fly an airplane um i think it is much easier for people in in good shape to be to be aviators you have to keep up your health you have to keep all that it's it's a mental game and the wellness factor of staying active and being fit plays both both ball fields i think um What, what does fitness in your world look like? Why do you choose to do that on top of everything and how does it help you?
0: You know, to, to me, um, I love learning, learning new things. Mm -hmm. So whether it's getting my pilot's license, um, I, I took, um, Spanish lessons a couple of days a week for several years, um, you know, did triathlon, Um, I like the mental challenge associated with doing different things Mm. and pushing yourself to, um, to accomplish things. Um, so there's that element, I think of fitness that just keeps you sharp as you get older, right? Like myself, then, uh, it's more work, right? Right. So you have to, I mean, if I, (laughs) at, at 50, I'll be 53 next month. Uh, if I let myself go. Which I do, right? I've I've kept. I'm a little bit OCD. I've kept track of my weight for like the last ten years, not daily, but almost. Sure. And you can see there's lots of uh, there's lots of peaks and and then some valleys, you know. So it's up and down. So it's hard to stay after it. But what I found is that in the last, you know, five years, for example, if I let myself go, gain twenty pounds, twenty five pounds, whatever boy, it's hard to get back. Spend spend a little bit of time on the couch and boy, it's hard to get back. And so it takes longer, I guess. The older you get, the longer it takes to get back. So the more important it is to to maintain it. But as you said, when you you feel good about yourself and that's, there's a mental aspect to it. You want to keep challenging yourself, stay mentally active. Uh, But then there's that pride aspect too. It's like, you know, when you're not, on your game, right? You yeah. know it's like, yeah, I'm up I'm up 30 pounds. You know, you know it and you feel differently about yourself. It makes you feel different physically, but then there's an emotional aspect of that as too, where you're not proud of yourself. And so um, so yeah, I think that the fitness, uh part of it is uh experience and setting goals and reaching them. Mm-hmm that gives you confidence to set more goals, set higher goals and reach those things. And then there's this, the physical aspect of it. That is, you just feel better. Um, it makes everything feel better physically, better. Better. feel better about yourself. Yeah. yeah. So I think that the fitness aspect is important and really, man, I love learning new stuff. That to me is, uh, I'm just interested in, And new things. Now I've got a short attention span. So, you know, three years and I may be on (laughs) to something else, but man, I like to dig in and find out about things. And, uh, that's to me, that's, that's, uh, that's really interesting.
1: Well, a lot of people will say,
0: oh yeah, I'm I'm fit or
1: I work out or I whatever. And their outlet is I go play tennis or Mm -hmm. yeah, I lift weights in the morning or I do cardio or something. You chose triathlons for a while. Why is that? What was that like?
0: I'll tell you I, I'll it, well, it was brutal like I don't want to do it anymore <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, it's watching that dang Iron Man and Kona I mean you wanna like, destroy I, I want to be I want to run, I wanted to run across I didn't do it but I wanted to run across the finish line and hear him say Douglas yeah. Braswell, you are an Iron man you know that I mean that would have been awesome. So I was putting my name in the lottery and I'm training, riding the bike and everything else. And um, so I did a half, Mm -hmm. I did a half Ironman, which is, um, which is a big deal. Yeah, it is. But there's lots of folks that uh, have done that. But for me, uh, it was, um, it was a cool thing. We went to Cancun. Mm -hmm. Um, There's lots of funny stories about, just the, the drama around it. My son ended up, uh, I left to go do the event in the morning and I locked the our all of our money in the in-room vault. Mm-hmm. My wife was down with the kids while my son slipped and fell in the room and busted his lip open. They had to go to the hospital and all of our documents <laughs> and all of our money is in the safe. <laughs> and uh, when we go to do the transition from the bike to the run, my older son is there with my uh, sister-in-law, and we go running by, my brother and I, and my son says, Dad, Dad, hey, I'm over here. Da, da. Luke's in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> just that's what you want to hear in the middle. Oh, my word. What did you do? What happened? Uh, we finished the race, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just said,
1: that's okay. We'll deal with it later.
0: Uh, I think my sister-in-law had said, uh, you know, he busted his lip, uh, but I okay. mean, but then oh, my, my wife was taking care of that. And of course she's in a, she's a physician. Mm-hmm. She's uh super smart. She knows how to take care of all that, but it's the stress of being in a foreign country and all yeah. that. It was crazy
1: with no money. Apparently.
0: And, uh, we did finish the race, not in any kind of record time. I don't even remember my time. I know it was nowhere near what we wanted it to be. Uh, and shortly after I got back, so I'd done some mini triathlons, the shorter versions, and then shortly after I got back, well, you know what, it was actually, that's not true, it was before I left, I was riding my bike and a car pulled out in front of me and I ended up going over the handlebars in the bushes and uh, got a pretty good gash on my back Mm -hmm. and uh, went to Cancun, did the event and I probably haven't ridden my bike. Five times since then. Really? Yeah. That kind of did it for me. Sure. Uh, cars and bikes don't mix. And there's really not many places you can ride a bike that don't have uh, cars in the no. area. So that was the end of my triathlon. I made it. I wanted to be an Ironman, right? But never did happen. But I'm, I'm learning to live with that.
1: What was the hardest part? Was it more of a physical struggle or a mental struggle? Because I I... That's the part that I like about it. When we first started swimming, it was that that was the worst thing. You grew up riding bikes, we all know how to ride bikes. You need to run, you're gonna feel well, we like We all
0: know how to ride bikes. We okay. didn't all grow up riding okay. bikes, but
1: yeah. I I did. And uh I won't
0: name any names, but that didn't not everybody. There are yeah. some
1: there's a select few, yes.
0: Uh that did not grow up riding bikes.
1: Grew up riding bikes. You can run, you're going to feel like death, but I can run from here to there, no big deal. And swimming, mm-hmm. I'm
0: like, oh, no big
1: deal. We grew up in the ponds, in the bayou, doing whatever, swimming around, no big swim deal. Swim with
0: alligators. Yeah,
1: which nice. makes it more challenging. Right. Faster. Yeah, way faster. Yeah. Um, That was the most miserable first month of my life.
0: Was it really? It was- it's hard to breathe and swim. Yeah. You know, if you're swimming across the pool- No big deal. You don't have to breathe, no. right? You just hold your breath and go but when you have to like time your, yeah, time it grade. is.
1: it And it was, it's all up here too. Cause it's now, well, I need to do it proper because this is how they said we need to do it proper. And I'm supposed to breathe here, but I forgot to do, and you just get so frustrated for me. a it was physically incredibly challenging and I'm still not great, still working at it, but it's more of a mental game than, than anything for, for all three bikes, swim run. It's, it's more mental. What a, was it was it more of a physical thing for you? Is it is it a mental challenge? Is it both? What was the mm-hmm. hardest part of it? Getting into it from a from a newbie beginner standpoint. What was the challenge?
0: You know, I'm really not very good at any of it. I'm huh. not. I'm not very fast. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a fast biker. I'm not a fast swimmer. Uh, I'm not a fast runner. Um, so, but I really loved the swim. I, had, I struggled like you're talking about at the beginning, but once you what's different than the bike and the run is that once you learn how to swim, it just seems like you can go and go like that to me, you know, in the, in the half Ironman that I did the swim, I mean, again, I wasn't fast, but it was no worries. You know, so I swam, you know, what is it? 1.2 miles. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I got out of the water doing, doing great. You know, and then the bike is a bit of a struggle. And then after riding the bike, they have to run. It's, it's next to impossible. Yeah. But I started running. Um, man, I tell you, I, I, let's see, that was probably around, I was probably 31, 32, maybe a little bit older. Started running. I always said, they're going to run. You know, you see the people running their 5Ks and all that's like, that's just stupid. They're just, what are they doing? And, uh, <laughs> and so one of my buddies said, Hey, let's do a 5K. And we were all at lunch. There's like six of us. And everyone's like, yeah, let's do it. You know, we're all out of shape, overweight. Right. I was like, Yeah, let's do that's it. That's a bigger, great idea. Great. Um, and so talking about the goals, right? That's that's kind of how the running deal started. So ran a 5K, and there was only two of us mm-hmm. out of the, I think there was there were six of us there, four or six of us there, two of us. Ran the 5K. Did it. Okay. Yep. And then uh, he and I ran together a lot over the years and we did more 5Ks. Then we did a half marathon. Then we did a marathon. And so um, that's kind of how the triathlon thing starts. Like, hey, I can do a marathon. Let's, let's, what else is out there? What else yeah. can we do? Um, but with running, there's goals, mini goals, small goals, right? Like you're running, you're like. I've been going for 15 miles. I've got three more to go. If I can make it to that street sign that I can see in the distance, I'm going to run all the way there. And then when you get there, you're like, now I'm going to run over the top of that hill. And then once you get over the top of the hill, it's like, now I I can definitely make it to that house down the street, you know? So you just kind of keep setting these little small goals. Sure. And, uh, I wish I had some great insights, uh, into The Ironman thing like that, because to be honest with you, the half Ironman was way more than what I'm, I'm designed for. So I never really figured out how to make those little small goals work, but I know in running that, uh, just setting those little small goals, starting with a 5k, then trying to do a faster 5k and then doing, doing a 10k and then, you know, those are, um, easy mile markers. I never did figure it out with the Ironman because sure. Uh, it's brutal. I can't imagine riding a hundred miles and then, Hey, let's run a marathon after that. But, uh, it's about grinding, putting the time in, making so. it work. Mm-hmm.
1: I want to talk about aviation real quick. Okay. Why did you get your pilot's license? How did that start? And you had recently just to get technical on fun stuff. You just went from not that long ago, old school steam gauges up to glass. So mm-hmm. not only did you do the whole pilot deal and now we're relearning aviation. Mm-hmm. That's extreme to say, but it is different. It is, right. it is very different. So how did, how did you get in the world of flying?
0: And somewhere around 08, I, uh, I just got a wild hair. As I said, I like to, to learn new things or whatever. And so I went, I got about 10 or 12 hours of flying in with an instructor and I lost my nerve. The idea that I was going to be doing this by myself. It's like, no, I don't think so. And so I quit. Wow. And then I picked it back up 10 years later uh, towards the end of 2019. And um, a friend of mine had recently gotten his license. And so I thought, okay, yeah, I tried that, but I'm going to go give it another try. And, uh, and I really connected well with my instructor. Just made me feel comfortable. Uh, And I was, he was able to communicate uh, how to fly, how to land, most importantly, um, in a way that I could understand. And so he was able to transfer that knowledge. And man, once I, I mean, really. We've had, my wife and I have uh, taken some trips in the plane. We've done all kinds of, uh, you know, and I, we'd go up to Fayetteville to see the boys and I've fly to Atlanta or fly to Phoenix. We've done all, we've been to Denver, done all kinds of uh, could, uh, cool stuff. But but when I was training those, you know, 300 hours before I got my license, <laughs> not that much, but, you know, what do they say? It takes 40 like the minimum is 40. 40 is minimum. Yeah. yeah that's minimum. I don't know anybody that uh, oh. that has done that. But nonetheless, uh, I did a lot more than that. But during that time when I was soloing, just around the field practicing S turns, climbing turns, descending turns, all that kind of stuff, that is the most fun. Uh, I mean, I didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Just in circles. Made spaghetti is what I like right. to say. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, man, I really, I really, frankly, I miss flying like that because now I get in the plane, I've got a destination, I'm going somewhere. Uh, But back then I was just flying just because I want to go fly. I want to get better at this. I want to learn how to do this right. You know, all of that. Um, That's fun flying. Uh, Probably should do more of that, frankly. You know, now I get in the plane, file an IFR flight plan, you know, and ATC is telling you, go here, go there. Go to this altitude, um, but uh, then I was just flying because this is awesome. Yeah, you know, so it's different now. Sure, but uh, probably should do more. Just go fly for fun. Wow!
1: Can you walk me through a day in the life?
0: In whose life? In Justin's life? A sure. day in my life? Uh, yeah. yeah, we can do his first, okay. and then uh, nothing. then mine, and then yours. Well, there's nothing to it. He's just Right. Walking around, patting people on the back. Good job, buddy. Keep it up.
1: Pretty much. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly how it goes. You guys are awesome. Y'all are great.
0: <laughs> um, You know, uh, really, I've been, this is my 30th year in the business. Mm-hmm. And as I've mentioned before, I have lots of great folks. And so uh, what's great about my job is, Uh, that I don't have to open the store every day. I've done, you know, open to close six days a week for a number of years and uh, put in a lot of time kind of grinding like that. Um, And now I get to focus on just different aspects of the business. So, um, you know, project, uh, lots of projects, scouting out new locations. Um, You know, one of the things I enjoy doing is just going in the store and, and talking to customers and talking to staff, just, to take their temperature so to speak you know sure. see how things are going and whatnot so um i guess that uh, it's a good thing you don't have like a million followers maybe someday this this interview will get me in trouble but today sure. i feel pretty safe We're in good. saying that my typical work day is getting to work at noon and then leaving about twelve forty-five. no not really uh I think our the, one follower will really appreciate <laughs> that.
1: You might get heckled the one time.
0: <laughs> no, I just, I have a lot of, uh, because I have such great folks, I have a lot of freedom to get kind of get involved in areas of the business that, um, that I'm interested in at any time. It may sure. be related to, um, like a store uh, layout or we may have a fire in an area, uh, not a literal fire, but a figurative one. It's right. like, hey, let's dig in here and figure out what is the problem yeah. and, um, and uh, just staying up with my folks. Because it, to me, as I've said a number of times already, that's the most important thing. So I like to, to go around and make, make sure that everybody, um, everybody's happy, right? Can't, can't be happy all the time, right? But I want them to, as far as work goes, I want them to have a great experience. And so I, I spent a lot of time thinking about and checking in on those kind of things.
1: Pawn shops, triathlons, and airplanes. I need you to write your name on this piece of tape and label your bottle, sir.
0: Label my bottle. Boom.
1: And our last outtake, and that's a wrap.